What's going on, everyone? Welcome to a spinoff series from For the Love of Cinema. We don't really have a name for this one yet. I've been going over a couple of names in my head, but joining me this evening is my buddy uh, from a long time working <laughs> working at a movie theater together, Brandon Boring. That's right. Here I am. In all my glory. And <laughs> all of his glory. Yep. Uh, uh, Brandon and I are going to start some... Uh, it's not going to be weekly. It'll be once or twice a month, I, th- I, th- I think is more real as an expectation. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a series where we talk about what we want to talk about and not dictated by weekly releases or release schedules of studios or any streaming service. So with that said, I think the first thing we're going to dig into in the weeks to follow will probably be the new Star Wars, the new uh, Star Wars trilogy, as we've discussed, Brandon. I think you and I both have feelings about that, both good, bad, similar, dissimilar. You, you know how the gamut with me runs. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Brandon, why don't you give mean, everyone... Oh, go, go, go ahead. And you know, The internet needs a couple more hot takes on the new Star Wars trilogy, so thank, <laughs> thank God we've come along. Thank goodness indeed, sir. Brandon, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone, uh, tell everyone what you're, what you're, what you're doing, uh, where your interests lie. Just give everyone kind of a little background of yourself, uh, as it were. Uh, yeah, you know, well, it started with work at the movie theater. I, I love movies enough that you know you have to work some awful minimum wage job when you're when you're uh, coming up in the world, and so that that was the one I chose. But it worked out pretty well for me because then I got to watch the same half hour chunks of movies on my lunch break, which was pretty fun. Uh, yeah, and then I uh, I have a degree in film studies from Ohio State. Uh, it's it's a film studies degree. I'm, I have a focus area in screenwriting, but the bulk of the degree was just sort of general film studies. I always tell people if anyone's unaware of a, a studies degree in film, it is it's just think of like an English degree where instead of reading the great works of literature, I watch some great and some not so great films uh, <laughs> and, and write about them that way. Uh, since then, I, I've done uh, I, I'm involved in a lot of other sort of uh, art forms as opposed to film. I do a lot of live performing. I both perform and direct live theater, uh, m- most often musicals, more so than straight plays. But uh I also uh, have recently started doing improv comedy around town. So I have a couple regular shows. Well, until the world shut down, I had a couple regular shows uh, where I perform as an improv comedian. So, uh, yeah, and now I'm just living life. I, I, I have I have one podcast with some friends where we talk about just uh, well, it started as bad movies and then that bummed us out. So now we just talk about <laughs> whatever the hell movies we feel like. It's really just an excuse, especially during the past year to, to connect with some friends that I couldn't see in person. And uh yeah, I you know I I watch uh, I, I'm just I'm a consumer of media at this point. That's that's how I feel. I I'm just a voracious appetite for whether it's binging TV shows or streaming everything I can get my hands on. Uh, that that's where I'm at right now. I think we are all voracious consumers of social media and or media of any kind these days, voluntary or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I mean I was just this past weekend I was hanging out with someone and. Uh, they made an observation that there's always a screen in front of us because I had stopped to get gas. And even mm-hmm. at the gas station, there's like a little tiny 30 second movie that plays on repeat over and over when you get the gas. And he, the, he said, man, there is always a screen in your face somewhere. And I just think that's a good point. Even at a gas station, there's yeah, a screen. Can't go off those gas station things. It's it's like the it's the minority report personalized ads. Like, hey, I can't help but notice you're getting some gas. Do you want some ice cool Coca Cola and <laughs> some M and M? I'm like, calm down. No, and it's so loud. The loudest sound in the universe is the ad that plays <laughs> at a gas station tank. Yeah, I can I can, I can see that. Um, that's just 
we are indeed consumers of media, whether we want to or not. Uh, my chosen form of that, of course, would be you know film. A lot of you know, I have a lot of friends who are really into music, and they feel this, they feel about music the way I feel about films. And then you have people who are really into just really wonderful literature, and they keep reading. And I, I've, I have two friends that are really into the book club, which they somehow can consume an entire novel, work a forty-hour week job, raise two kids, and still make it to the weekly book club. And I got to say, that's my hat's off to them because they're a married couple that do a book club in um, uh, Colorado. And I just, I, I, I couldn't do that. I don't think that, I could. That's a lot of, that is lot of wild. Um, one of the ways the, the pandemic kind of rewired my brain, and I don't know if it's ever going to go back to normal, is now I batch activities at a time. So basically I get into a mode and I decide what I'm doing with all of my free time. So like, one week, it might be all I'm doing is watching TV shows or movies anytime I have any free second. And then two weeks later, like, all right, any second I'm free, I'm reading books. So, or, I, or I'm playing video games straight through any second I have free time another week. Uh, there were time, yeah, so there were weeks during the pandemic where I read like four novels in a week. And then I did that like a couple weeks in a row because that, that was just what I was doing with my time. And yeah, that, and I'm still kind of stuck in that mode. Right now, I've been watching a lot of TV shows lately. So, Anytime I'm free, I've just been sitting down and, and catching up on different TV shows or rewatching some. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if my brain ever goes back to normal and being able to just sort of moderate my well, activities. Well, actually, and- so b- before we jumped on this, about right as I was leaving work, actually around seven, I saw the the news story hit hit the internet that Top Gun has been pushed from this Thanksgiving until Memorial Day 2022, and with it, J- Jackass went. Which I assume that means all the big hall. I, I assume they're. I don't think they're going to release Dune now. I think there's not a chance that's going to happen. Uh, I think all the big holiday movies will now move because COVID is once again spiking in big cities, and it's going to. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, it really cuts into profits. I mean, oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I get it. You know, from a money side, I, I can understand why they don't want to do that because you know, face the ones that have come out have not been as successful as they want it seems like the only company that's happy with it is disney disney's like yeah whatever we we own half the planet so it really like whatever number comes up at the box office for these movies doesn't matter to us we own the ip of the universe so well jungle cruise the a very recent one for disney still i mean still upwards of 175 in the as box God office damn. and and no that, that that movie is atrocious i don't know if you saw that i but... didn't go see it uh don't get me wrong i love me some dwayne johnson um it's just uh, i think i just something about that just the intersection of like okay another dwayne johnson doing the exact same thing in a cgi environment with you know I, it was just not enough to get my brain out there it, it's the sort of thing where i might eventually stumble away into watching it on streaming but well it'll be it'll be free here in a few months from, from disney and then it's no problem for sure yeah um and, and brandon you and i are now at an age where so it's the two movies that's emulating at least to me the mummy and Pirates of the Caribbean came out yeah. where we were old enough to go see that in the theater. You know what I mean? Like that's how, so, I mean, yeah. it's an entire generation, but like, I know where those movies came from. And like, but so here's do you. the difference though. Uh, the mummy, because I just rewatched the whole series, including tomb of the dragon emperor. So don't, uh, but the difference is they happen to get Brendan Fraser, who is fine looking like a, an idiot. <laughs> the rock, like that's saying like, Brendan Fraser is this like great looking, super handsome, badass leading man, but he's also funny and it's fine being the butt of the joke. He's such a good performer. Uh, whereas The Rock as a brand, I mean, that was the tension that got caused on the Fast and Furious because The Rock is like, well, I'm The Rock and I always have to be The Rock. And 
I, I can't ever have anything other than that message go out that I'm the rock and I am awesome. So, so I feel like not even having not seen Jungle Cruise, I can tell you why it would be less successful than The Mummy was because a lot of that works really well when the cool hero guy looks like a real dum dum. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever. There's, I mean, a number of different reasons why that movie didn't. Jungle Cruise to me just isn't worth a second viewing, but. I mean, I'm, it's 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 emulating two movies that are, to me, at least better than that. But I mean, that's we're not here to talk about Jungle Cruise. But I mean, we do, as a mission on this spinoff series, want to talk about certain. I mean, who knows? the The Mummy may be on one of the one of these episodes. We do talk about the Mummy franchise. And you just brought up, uh, you know, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, but that's part of the Mummy lore now. So that's part of. I mean, you can't. That's like. One of my biggest pet peeves after the Star Wars prequels came out was Star Wars great. Oh, well, the prequels don't count. I said, no, 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 no. They're part of the saga. They absolutely well, count. Okay. What do you mean by count, though? Also, well, but, by but, the but, way, in case you wondered, this is why this whole thing exists. Because Grayson and I used to work in the movie theater, <laughs> and I would basically just like shout at him. And he would be like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Because I was like winding him up. Uh, frankly, I just like arguing with people, even if I don't really believe what I'm talking about. It's just fun for me. But uh, because here's the thing, and this is my problem with people who like violently hate, uh, not to take it all into Star Wars, but like, let's say you really hate one of the new Star Wars or a couple of the new Star Wars or all of them and hate it so much. If you can't sit down and watch the, you know, the 1970s Star Wars, that's that's on and enjoy it because of those new movies exist. That's on you. Like, the like, okay, yeah, the whole story, if you're looking at the narrative arc and the, like, technically, yeah, I, I agree that you can't just ignore and say it's not canon and try to, you know. That's what I mean, change, though. But... Change.org position to get them to strike them from, <laughs> from the record. But uh, there's the flip side of that where, like, it, no matter what spinoffs or, or, you know, adaptations or garbage people throw at anything that you love. You still have that thing that you love. That's why, I like, no, no, I, I remakes. I'm like, no, no, I, t- I totally understand that, Brandon. You're not, you're, you're misunderstanding my point here. Is you know, I mean, yes, well, Star Wars is a great example because it's got such ups and such downs. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially in the new three, which you know I want to get into here in the next uh, two or three weeks. However, it's just I'm a big proponent of. I mean, you know me. You know I die on those. I, I'm Terminator, Alien. Like I, I those franchises. I love, and even with the new crappy ones, I still love the franchise because I I'm, I'm not going to toss aside my love, my incredible love for you know two of the movies in those in those franchises, which now five or seven movies exist. They're just bad, but I mean I'm not going to. So I do enjoy watching all the Terminators or all the Alien films or mm-hmm. any of those, even all the Star Wars. I go you know once every six seven months I watch all the. I just sit down and watch all the Star Wars. I mean. That's that's dedication. That's well, I, <laughs> but if nothing else, they're fun. That's and true, and that's, and, and that's the other thing too. Like I, you know, obviously you are, I think, a great student of film. But I, you know, I, I literally have a degree in studying film. But that doesn't mean I don't love sitting down and watching, you know, flashing lights and loud noises and just have fun with it. Uh, and I feel like. The, there's so many people who, who argue that you can only appreciate films one of two way. People are like, just have fun with it. Or, or no, you have to talk about just the art of it. And I'm like, you can maybe do both, you know? Yeah, you're not like, restricted to one. Yeah, I, I can enjoy films that are, you know, the, you know, great art house films, that have beautiful cinematography, and we really appreciate that. And then I can also, you know, I, I love the shit out of the Fast and the Furious franchise. I just rewatched, well, 
I watched most of the series for the first time. I hadn't seen most of the newer ones, and I, I did a run up to F nine, and I had a goddamn blast with those. Well, they, I mean, especially the one where the Rock is just walking down the street shooting a minigun. It's like, does it get much better than that? I, yeah, that's you it's know? perfect. It's just perfect. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. I mean, especially with the fact that when you're watching those movies, you know, you really are suspending any kind of disbelief you have, and you're just along for the ride, which is what it is anyway. So it's yeah. not. I mean, that's the whole thing. Is I'm have been a student of film since I don't have memories that predate you know my my love of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents would tell me they'd take me to movies when I was super young. Uh, I think Balto was one that I loved. I just They could tell that I just got it. I just w- was able to just get into the story, and that's what I followed. I didn't follow the lights and the, and the, you know, the funny characters and what silly-looking designs that they may have had. I, I, my dad could tell that I got into the narrative, the story, and was following that over the characters. And that's just you know, something that I just – he's like, I just could look at you, Grayson, and I just knew you were getting it. I just knew. He has this whole spiel about Beauty and the Beast, and I remember it, and we remember that experience in two different ways, um, my father and I, but um, obviously because I was, you know, very young, and he was, you know, mm-hmm. not young. But uh, point is, I there are very few people I've talked to in my both professional and uh, professional career and, you know, friend career that um, has given me insight like you have in the past. And you've even – and you, do you remember an exercise that you forced upon me at working at Carmike that I still use today? Oh, yeah, the three things because you, you were a real, <laughs> you were a real uh, piece of work back then, my friend. I do. I, I, I know it. And people that know me know it. And I've, you know, I've really – over the past couple of years and through the pandemic and I've been watching a ton of stuff and mm-hmm. I've just reexamined where I was and where I am now. And it's just I remember myself back then. I mean if a move was bad, it was just garbage and I don't want to talk about it. I mean, every every young man is you know when you're when you're that young, everyone's sort of impulsive and thinks they know how the world runs. And so, I'm not saying in particular you're the only person who had issues that age, but yeah, you you were a bit of a terror. And um, <laughs> anyone enjoying any film that wasn't great, you're like, how dare how dare you how dare have you? fun watching a movie? Uh, like, but whoa. so if so, the, the the exercise that Brandon forced upon me um, was so whenever I'd come out of a movie. Before I would say anything about it with him, he would say three things, three things, Pip. And, and Pip was my nickname at the, uh, I, I don't, I'm not quite sure I remember the origins of Pip. I, me either. I'm, you predated me at the theater. So when I arrived, that was already who you were. <laughs> I and... think because there was a very small comic book character named Pip and one of the managers loved at the time. So they just called me Pip and it just stuck. It was and a weird it, world is what it was. It, it certainly was. But man, oh man, I'm, we have so many great stories from that place. I would never trade them for anything. However, so the... The exercise is he would make me say three things I liked about a movie before I talked about it. And at first, I found that kind of difficult. But now, when I'm watching a movie, good, bad, or otherwise, and I'll use Kissing Booth 3 as an example. We just, on the, on the main podcast, For the Love of Cinema, we just talked about Kissing Booth 3, which I've got to say is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. I gave it, out of 20 possible points, two people scoring it on a 10 scale, it got 0.5 total, cumulative. Wait, is this actually like a, the third in a franchise, or is it a joke that it's called the third one? No, no, it is. It's a third on a, in a Netflix franchise called The Kissing Booth. Oh my god, damn! The world and, is like the world is wild. That well, because of all the streaming <laughs> platforms, like there's a third in a film series that I've not even like heard a whisper of. Oh, and on Netflix, there's so many series that like I see sequels upon sequels. I'm like, I never even saw this. Like, what is this? Oh my god, but, the poster says the end of an era. What era? I missed the era. <laughs> Uh, but that's just 
I what I enjoy talking to you, Brandon, and I hope people listening also enjoy it is the fact that we have two we very often have two different perspectives but we are two people that really dig the craft uh, of filmmaking and we come at it i'm at a completely emotional point most of the time i don't think i think you're more of a rational person when it comes to breaking down a film analyzing a script etc about everything man that's that's my whole life for for good and for ill that that is my mantra (laughs) everything's running through my brain isn't a bad way to be, uh, but we again we have two different ways of looking at it. But I mean, we both have a very similar like. For instance, we just talked about the Fast franchise. We both understand what it is, what it's doing, and though it's not the greatest works of cinema, excuse me, we um we can enjoy it for what it is, and I think that's important. A lot of people I don't think have that mentality anymore. I think the world has gotten so. Uh, I mean, you can, if you go on YouTube, there's probably at any given time more than 500 channels of, you can choose to have people that think that they're giving the correct take on a film or a TV series or a season of TV, whatever, whatever you're looking into getting more information on, everyone thinks they have the right answer. And and that's something that I think, what I, I thought of you, Brandon, was because you helped me get, you helped me get on the journey out of that. Very oh yeah, man! If YouTube was around channel. back then, you would have been the goddamn worst channel on the the site. You, you were not worse as in like viewers, but worse as in like wow, he's really kind of a piece of work. That guy. You would, yeah, you've been like, <laughs> let me tell you why you're you're a murderer if you like this film. Like, let oh, me tell you, let me tell you why you're stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not. Uh, go go ahead. Sorry, Terry, I, I derailed you though. I just realized because we, we got so sideback. What what are your three things about Kissing Booth three? Well, three things about Kissing Booth 3 would be I, I did somewhat like the main character, although she completely regressed from where she ended up in the first movie. She actually she actually ended up past her character arc, like past back where her character arc ended in the first movie. But I actually like her character. I think it, I mean, the entire franchise centering around Elle, I dig that because it's a, it's a, you know, if that Kissing Booth was aimed at young girls, they, that was the right choice to center it around a young recent high school graduate into college girl. Uh, that was the right choice. And I, I thought the, the actress was the right choice for that kind of role. Another one was, I, I dig the fact that we did get a Kissing Booth 3 and we'll probably get a Kissing Booth 4 because on Netflix, it's doing so well. I mean, it's just, I don't know how to quantify these things into dollar amounts, which Netflix, I, I don't know if anyone really knows how they work, but um, I would imagine they have some kind of algorithm somewhere that tells them it's a success. And I would imagine we're going to get a fourth one of those. I would, I'm not going to bet my life on it, but I would imagine there's a pretty strong scenario that we're going to get a, a fourth one. Maybe it's five years down the road, whatever it is when they grow up a little bit fine, but we will yeah, that, definitely get a fourth one. And that is why I can't imagine because basically Netflix, if they're looking at the data on me, I gave them my credit card information. I don't know a decade ago when 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 did Netflix streaming start? And I basically it's just been on a repeat <laughs> since like a repeat since then. Yeah, it's not like I've added services or drops. Like I've just always been a customer, so it doesn't really matter what they have on the service. Well, it's, it's funny. Be- a- it's funny because so I use my Netflix account. One sister uses my Netflix account, and my parents. So there's three of us that all use Netflix account and my, my mom loves, and she, and by love, I mean, I think she might love this more than she loves any of her kids. She mm-hmm. loves finding really terrible horror films. And there nice. are, there are so many on Netflix and she just laughs and laughs and has a great time with it. Does she do shutter? 
She does. I actually just okay. signed up for that and sent her uh, my login information like a week ago. And she texted me yesterday and said she's absolutely loving all the cheesy horror movies on Shudder. Awesome. I have a buddy who's just like that. One, one of my friends who's on Trash Watch with me. He He's like the horror guy. And he just he just has a blast. And I, I, I've ne- I was never that guy, but I can still appreciate the ones. Uh, we just we just watched uh, House and House Two, the second story. Nice, and that, a lot of fun to be had in those two movies. I'll tell you, and they were just kind of like great '80s cheesy horror. Loved it. I mean, that's that's a, almost a whole genre: '80s cheesy '80s horror. It's almost 100%. a genre. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but I so, but how to, would they? Uh, sorry, oh, no, I was just thinking of horror. I was listening to a breakdown of uh, the first Halloween movie, and just sort of like explaining why it was so revolutionary and blew so many minds and. Uh, it, that was great hearing some people who knew what the hell they were talking about do a deep dive into it because uh, th- that that was like the one horror franchise i did sort of latch on to in my like high school years uh in middle school into high school years is i, I was always i was all in the halloween movies so but well that, i'm not i i am happy that we've that they've taken out of the canon two through whatever and we now there's only two movies and i don't think halloween in 2018 was spectacular i, I don't even think it was great or I think it was mediocre to good somewhere in that uh, rating scale. But I mean, that's, we're not here to talk about that, but I, mm-hmm. I'm always surprised at these 30 years later sequel. I mean, they're surprised at what they do with it, meaning I love it or kind of lackluster ish. Like you've had 30 years and this is what you've come up with. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> This Halloween's for me fall somewhere there, but well, you so, say you say you had thirty years as if like the studio hired <laughs> a screenwriter who went to a mountain in Tibet and is sitting in a, a cave meditating on the nature of Halloween. No, I told it, but that's you know 30, 30 reflective years of studio experience to reflect on that. Uh, but so back to my what is Netflix? How is Netflix quantifying me? When I said it always, I, I sign on is like you might like this, and it's like a Russian. B movie, B horror movie. I'm like, I've never. Oh, mom, because what mom's watching recently. That's why they said you might like this. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I have no idea how Netflix quantifies anything um, numbers wise, but mm-hmm. that is always going to be a mystery to a lot of people because they just spend money like it's water. So they must have somewhat of a successful uh, I mean, setup yeah, over there. They're selling our data somehow. I don't know how it's making the money. To let to let them know that I watched. I think you should leave twelve times on a loop, but. <laughs> Yeah, I've been whoever's I'll, paying for that. Hope you're enjoying the data. But let's, I mean, so back to the core of the episode here is uh, there. I mean, I know that you know I love to watch, and I know you do too, and talk about all these big, like for instance, you know, Jurassic Park, uh, for better for worse, Halloween, you know, Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. even things like Harry Potter, The Lord of the Rings. You know, we love you and I both love the 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 grandeur, the the grandiose spectacle that that, that is, you know, a big budget Hollywood movie. Oh yeah. And I think that Hollywood is even Hollywood itself has lost sight of, you know, I mean, the term blockbuster comes from, you know, when they would make these big blockbuster marquee movies mm-hmm. that I think that we've, you know, kind of lost sight on because now every movie is just big, grandiose, more, 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 more. I mean, oh, yeah, Marvel Marvel's a great example of this. Yeah, because Hollywood doesn't make like medium sized movies anymore, especially small indies or giant CGI you know, mega star film action films is, is like the only thing that's being pumped out right now in any significant numbers. Well, I mean, I think they're killing the, the mid, you know, because I, talking to, I know my boss, I've talked to him a few times on some other accounts on, on the films I'm working on is there's the, the 25 to 35 to $45 million movies going away, mm-hmm. you know, re- replaced with TV, 
ultra low budget features and huge budget features. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle is disappearing on these budgets and it's either massive or it's not. Now, what's going to be interesting is because COVID is coming back again and it's again wreaking havoc across the world. And, you know, um, I don't know. The, do you think that will change any kind of patterns of, of Hollywood spending? Uh, it's hard to say. Like Hollywood is, all, I feel like, always like four years because of the production cycle. I feel like they're always like four years behind whatever the trend the audience actually wants. Uh, and really right now, all we have is uncertainty. The whole world with, with COVID is just nothing but uncertainty. So, uh, if anything, I think it's just going to make Hollywood triple down on what they're currently doing. Go, this is the model that works. And yeah, so that, that would be my guess is that they're going to just like really go like, okay, no, this is all we can do. We just have to play it safe. So we're going to do what we, we know works or what they think they know works, uh, for at least a while until, until we're on the outside of this thing. You know, I would have sworn that, and we haven't actually seen many of them, but I would have sworn with everything I have, my, my entire fortune and my soul, that we were going to get more movies like, you know, I really love Phone Booth, and that's back in our day at Carmike. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie with Colin Farrell. Like, I would have sworn we would get more of those because it's, it, you know, it's one location, quick shoot, no extras, you're done. Or the extras are just there. I mean, it's, you, yeah. I mean, like, there's so much less of a risk. But we haven't really seen too many of those. And I'm surprised that, you know, Hollywood or even Blumhouse hasn't really picked up on that because like there's nothing that's more hyper relevant right now than pandemic because the entire world is still in a pandemic. Yeah. But also I, I know I, I sure as hell don't want to watch any movies about a pandemic. So, well, no, I'm not, I don't mean about a pandemic. I mean, just oh, small, film, yeah. smaller scale movies that, you know, a simple story that doesn't have to be, you know, car chases and flying. into. I mean, in yeah. the last Fast movie, they literally, in a Pontiac Viera, went into space. Yeah, they did, and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> and then they somehow got into a space station and made it back to Earth and not arrested and put into a jail for life. Everything you're describing is perfect. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. Uh, but, oh, by the way, what a, can, can, can you think of a business that had a better 100-year anniversary than AMC with 2020? Like, I mean, better as in, like, more hilarious... Uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, it was also the 100th anniversary of the Ohio State University. So uh, I have like a centennial shirt uh, and stuff from, from the university. And I'm like, oh, you guys, this is not a good look. Not a good look. That's hilarious. I mean, that's just, I can't think of a worse way to celebrate your 100th year for a movie theater your business. industry shutting down? Then your industry shutting down and like kind of teetering and maybe not opening back up. Because there was for a while there, there was. Well, uh, yeah, but they sold a lot. They sold they sold the biggest theater next to Ohio State's campus. Uh, which, so the one that is closest to all the students, they sold that is like a 24 plex with an IMAX and all that stuff. And they they just sold it. AMC did what? Yeah. Company? I mean, there's nothing you can do with that except put another movie theater in there. Business. Well, another theater bought it. Yeah. Oh, what what's what what chain? I didn't know there were that I, many I chains left. I want to say it's like Phoenix Theaters. It's one I had not heard of. Oh, wow. I didn't know that they, I mean, I thought like AMC, because AMC, after they bought Carmike, bought two smaller chains. I'm like, oh, AMC is just going to gobble up everything. I mean, that's a smart move. And then 2020 hit. And then maybe not, it's not yeah. a smart move. Yeah, they were doing that. Because, yeah, the, 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 well, one of the AMCs is still by me was like a smaller independent chain that got purchased up by AMC. Uh, yeah, but the, the one that was close. Yeah, it's, Phoenix is a real small. It looks like they have like 10 or 15 theaters total across the country. Wow. Well, I hope they. I just don't want theaters to go away. I mean, I know that, I mean, I know if you oh, listen no, to, 
yeah that that for me too it's, there's something about the experience of just being in the room um well and really you can enjoy. and you can never as long as the theater keeps keeps you know it's however every five or ten year updates you're never going to be able to replicate that sound and image in your living room ever i don't care you're just never going to be able to do it because that technology is goes bigger first and then gets smaller yeah. so it's, it's not theaters are always especially new theaters are always going to have it i mean they're they're already advertising 8K televisions. I yeah, mean, like, I, know. I don't even think the world has like 4K for the most part. I think everyone's still like, oh, I just got my new 1080p TV. Yeah, I didn't buy. I, I thought about upgrading to 4K this year, but I'm like, I'm 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 still fine with my current level of resolution. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the same with like the Blu-ray and the 4Ks. Like, I don't think people that I think people that buy those mainly watch the Blu-ray package in and not the 4K. I think that's yeah. the only, I think that's the only way they're selling the 4Ks is putting it a blu-ray and with it so if you ever get a 4k player you can watch it yeah i haven't watched i haven't done a lot of physical media lately i've I, i've not also since because of streaming i've not even like bought a lot of digital copies i i rarely sort of buy films anymore um i'm kind of different i'll if it's a movie i like and i want it i want the digital copy i'll, I'll buy the steelbook or I'll, I'll buy the 4k and just uh just you know use the digital copy and maybe i'll sell the other one or i'll give it to a friend of mine who really wanted it but mm-hmm. um I would, I mean, that's the whole thing though. It's like, I'm surprised the world is doing as well as it's doing with selling digital stuff because it's still, it's selling like crazy. Like, I don't, you know, people yeah. aren't conserving money. They're spending, spending, spending. So, but, um, so I want to talk a little bit about Brandon, uh, if you could enlighten us, some of your favorite f- like franchises and by franchise, I mean, big franchise. I don't mean smaller franchise. I mean, like, just go nerd out and tell me what you love to watch. I mean, I, I know you're a Star Wars fan. I think though, and one mm-hmm. listening to this knows you're a Star Wars fan by now. But oh, yeah. tell us uh, what 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 else you like to listen to or uh, watch. Yeah, so, so big temple franchises that I love. Um, I despite the 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 Hobbit of it all, the Lord of the Rings franchise is just it like that. That felt like a, a awakening in my brain when I went and saw the first one in theaters. I was like, oh, there's a whole thing here. Like I had, I think I'd maybe read the Hobbit before that, but sort of seeing it in just the, the gorgeous sets. And, and then also that was another gateway for me. Cause I don't know if you remember the, uh, the DVDs of those, the special features on the Lord of the Rings set. It was so in depth on the process of filmmaking that I watched those things like multiple times. I watched the, these things that are longer than these very long movies taking you into, you know, Oh, we're just, we're in depth for hours with the costume designers, with the set designers, with the audio engineers. Like, so in addition to being just amazing, gorgeous films that I love, I rewatched them like a year and a half ago in like a one day marathon. Um, the, like just the physical media of them and, and those behind the scenes features, like really, really had an impact on me and just sort of understanding the, the nature of filmmaking. I think you're um, right about the, the awakening part of your brain because that, I mean, there are still movies we're seeing coming out today that are getting made because of the success of the Ring trilogy almost mm-hmm. a decade ago. Yeah. So I mean, that's the that's that is the impact of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is like you're still getting studios to be like, ah, all right, make it. Lord of the Rings did did, did, did did so good, this might do okay. But I mean, you know, one big mystery to me that I never got to talk to you about was speaking of Lord of the Rings and Peter Jackson was um, Mortal Engines. Never was I, there I, never was there a bigger box office bomb than Mortal Engines. Yeah, that's fair. it. Did I, it did nothing? Like it, it didn't even do. I mean, it didn't do mediocre. It did downright terrible. Mm-hmm. I want. I mean, and that one that was like a hundred and twenty five million dollar budget. 
Yeah, that was so, massive. They thought so it was going to be just a slam dunk. Yeah. <laughs> so give me your take 10 seconds. Give me your thoughts on that. Did you watch it? I didn't know. And that that's, I think, indicative of it. Like not, nothing about it pulled me in. I, I felt no urgency or need to see that. Uh, uh, I, I did only because, I mean, I knew it was Jackson. I knew it was fantasy. I knew it was Hugo Weaving. I knew so many elements that Jackson had used so successfully before were in it. And then I watched it. I'm like, whoa, what in the world happened? Because you and I have had conversations in the past where with Jackson and is he a, you know, a big Hollywood one hit wonder with those big movies? And I think that he might be. Well, it's hard to say because uh, we I think he could have made good Hobbit movies if it weren't for the studio demand to make them three. Because uh, if you watch them, like if I squint into the Hobbit movies, I can see the magic that's there. And like there's still some gorgeous visuals happening. Just a lot of the the padding is rough on that. Also, I mean, Mortal Engines, he didn't direct that. So like, I understand he wrote the screenplay and produced it and sort of put his weight behind it. Um, and the reason that, you know, Hugo Weaving is doing it. But uh, so that one's hard to 100% put on his feet, put at his feet rather. Uh, I don't know, because also, I mean, he he's. It's weird because he was before the Lord of the Rings came along. He was, the, you know, the weird ho- horror guy from New Zealand who made these like small little schlocky films that like had a big cult following. And if anything, I mean, you could say he's a one hit wonder for big blockbusters, but it's amazing that anyone because think how many of those little guys, they get a chance to do the big Hollywood film and they don't hit. And he hit in such a monumental, gigantic way with the three films in that series. So. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be able to replicate maybe the sort of high high watermark of those films. But I, there's a lot of filmmakers would never reach the high watermark of those films. So well, no, you're right. I mean, and putting New Zealand on the map, and you know, billion dollars in merchandising and selling. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I remember reading an article. Actually, you and I talked about it that all the you know all like the Dragon Cons and the you know those those conventions that people go to around the country that you know celebrates all things, you know, nerd culture and fantasy. And it's just mm-hmm. a place for people to get together, like-minded people. And I remember you and I reading that article in one of the, do you remember we got the box office magazine at Carmike? I do remember the box office. Oh my God, the box office magazine. One article, because you and I worked in the box office quite a bit. Uh, we rotated in and out of there was sword selling had gone up like 6,000% because, sure. because of the ring trilogy. People were spending like hundreds of dollars on replica swords and, you know, yeah, the Gandalf sword, Aragorn uh, sword. Yeah, Clayton owns the Sword of the King. It's, yeah, in, my house. it's in my house right now. That's pretty, yeah. So I, I, I own um, an Elvish sword. I forget. No, it's not. Is it Glamdring? Is that? I don't know. Whatever. I may, I think the name I gave it was wrong. But I own um, Arwen's sword. Nice. So I bought that for 125 bucks uh, years and years ago. But I sometimes get it. I, when I'm feeling nostalgic, I'll go home and I'll get it out and I'll just, you know, I'll swing around with it. Okay. And quick question. What you're going to get one fantasy sword from movies. What are you getting? A fantasy sword. Now, does, are we, are we not counting? count lightsabers? Not oh, I was going to say, do we count lightsabers? We don't want, we all, we all want a lightsaber. <laughs> Speaking of, have you seen Free Guy? Uh, I've not yet. You should, based on what we just, lightsabers, you should watch Free Guy. Yeah. I say I've been, I've been, uh, yeah, I had, I had auditions this past week for a show. So my, my schedule's been packed. I will hopefully have an opening here in, in the coming week for a little time. I'm going to get out to a theater and see a movie or two. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know, my, my, just because I have one in my head and I've been, I've been waiting. If I find a good replica that I like, I might go for it. I would love to have a Hook's sword from, uh, I'm sorry, Peter Pan sword from the movie Hook. Oh yeah, that that would be a great one to have. The great gold blade and the coconut handle, like it's just a real, real cool look to it. It's a different design. 
uh, I guess movie sword. What I would like to have. Oh yeah. man, I have to. There's so many great. Yeah, that, that's a lot. I just kind of threw that. It just popped in my head. So I, yeah, no pressure if you can't think of one off the top of your head. I just I I had been thinking about hook sword for a little while because I rewatched that uh, a year or two ago and I was like, that's a sweet looking sword. That's that is. I mean, lightsaber is, is is the automatic and correct answer to that question. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll <laughs> lightsaber. The, my, the problem is, and I had this problem with uh, with the wands because uh, I'll just throw this in there. You're talking about franchises I love. Uh, Harry Potter, I love the books first, but then that bled into loving the movies. Uh, and there's some real real cool stuff in the in that series. Um, but yeah, when I went to the the Harry Potter world, I was like, okay, do I want a character's wand or do I want to get my own wand that's like for me and i feel like i'd be the same way with lightsabers i'm like well do i want to get you know luke's lightsaber or do i want to get a custom just for me this is my design lightsaber of course that's you know actually i I, let me i'm going to sidestep your question and answer in a different way i do have my favorite movie weapon um i have a replica pulse rifle from aliens that's pretty cool um i think i've seen that yeah i'm pretty sure you told me that you showed me yeah i i i walk around whenever i go back to my parents i walk around (laughs) the house of that thing all the time and it is like like you're seven years old again just going around (laughs) you pew pew (laughs) well the thing is it's it's um what do you call it oh it it is it's built to scale and it's the weight and it 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 has a couple of clips the the side counter works it's just it has it has everything but the sound but I, i mean i don't I'll, if I wanted the sound, I'll watch the movie. So that's fine. But I just, yeah. that's my favorite movie weapon of all time. And I felt really great when Ready Player One came out. And that was the, that was the weapon of choice for the main character who could choose any weapon that they wanted. The pulse rifle was the weapon, which means, Steven Spiel- which means that Steven Spielberg likes mm-hmm. the pulse rifle mo- more than anything else. So yeah. I was like, oh, I feel... I never, I never, I mean, that was just, I feel like I made the right choice because that's, I think that's the coolest movie weapon. I mean, other ones are, there are, I mean, there are dozens and dozens of cool, of, of great and wonderful answers to that question. But I guess I'm going to sidestep a little bit and say that one. I think perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Cause I think, I think movie weapons is probably a better one. I was just thinking of sword specifically because the, the topic came up. Um, but yeah, that, I think just, the, yeah, especially because of the the special features, Lord of the Rings is always going to hold a special place for me and sort of me me appreciating film. Um, yeah, I mentioned Harry Potter. I, I am an unabashed fan of comic book movies in general. I like Marvel specifically. I like stuff that has been in the DC universe in the past uh, and some of the current stuff. Uh, you know, just to, I, I can at least get value out of some of the current stuff, uh, you know. I'm not saying they're perfect films, obviously, or anything like that, but I, I, I am a sucker for, for the MCU. I'm watching all the shows, and uh, I'm still having a good time with it. Oh, I mean, me too. I always I always use the term, and I, I think I've told you this before, the inside the, the Marvel bubble or inside mm-hmm. the comic book bubble, those movies are pretty stellar. But yeah. out, outside of it, if you you know apply like normal logical thinking, like how to break down a script and you're asking questions about continuity and, you know, it doesn't it tends to lose a little bit of its you know the gum that holds it together but oh yeah but honestly I, like i've seen dozens and dozens of video essays about like oh all the marvel films looks the same and you know this is kind of bland and how you know st- studio produced it's you know it feels like studio note the movie but you know what my brain goes you know flashes when when strongman punts out the strongman so yeah i mean i mean, who doesn't love i mean roger on our show says it all the time that so when when they were starting this they in Thor they cast largely no named Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, mm-hmm. and they are two of the biggest names in movies right now. You know, Chris oh. Hemsworth is definitely one so of the I've, biggest names. I have a quick story about Chris Hemsworth. Um, Ooh, do and please. how he got that job. 
uh, because I went and saw a, an early screening of Cabin in the Woods, uh, and the director and one and uh, the the lead actress were there, and they did a Q and A afterwards. Uh, and so uh, it's uh, Drew Goddard was the director of that. Yep. He's uh, he's sort of a Joss Whedon staple guy, and basically it, the end up happening is like Drew Goddard, Joss Whedon co-wrote Cabin in the Woods, and he sort of saw Chris Hemsworth in that movie, and that's when he recommended him to Marvel as someone to look at for Thor. But uh, they told this great story where there's a scene basically they're, where they're running out of the basement, and it's Chris Hemsworth and the lead girl and one other guy, one other actor. Uh, and they're talking about how miserable the shoot was, and it was like four in the morning, and everyone's exhausted and tired, and the the crew just wants to get out of there. And Chris Hemsworth, the the actress said, right before the take, he just turns to the other cast members and looks seriously and goes, "Let's get these people home to their families," and then runs out the door to start the scene. And they were laughing too hard to do the scene because <laughs> just the 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 absurdity of it. Um, yeah, but that's, go back and watch that though. one. He's he's great in that movie. He, he's Everyone, I love that movie in general, but but Chris Hemsworth is a really good performance in that. I will I will have you not besmirch Chris Hemsworth in anything, sir. I think he is a treasure, and he will be talked about as such. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just well, you said in that movie, as in like, well, there's some other movies where he's oh not no no he's good. good. I, I'm saying you know that like um, basically I, I'm just pointing out because in Cabin in the Woods, since the point is they're playing archetypes, and he is you know the jock archetype. Like, oh no, he's actually doing great acting work, and you might not have expected if you just sort of looked at cabin in the woods at a surface level like no he's he's doing some great work there that was more of an excuse of anyone who might have presuppositions about the the movie cabin in the woods that was also the same was that the same year as the remake of red dawn uh it might have been released then because it was filmed way earlier that's why chris hemsworth looks just like a normal in-shape person and not a giant muscle man <laughs> uh, you know what one chris just and this is the last thing we'll say about chris hemsworth because we we'll kind of get back to topic at hand mm-hmm. But one of my favorite, no, I think his, I think what his opus, I, I mean, I'm, this is just my personal is Extraction on Netflix. I think Extraction is such a phenomenal movie that, I mean, I watched he, it. he in it is just, I'm telling you, you are missing, you are literally missing every day. You're not watching that. It is, there's so much in there to take away from. And it's just, it's, it's wonderful. I'm telling you that Chris Hemsworth is, he's not going anywhere and he is wonderful. Uh, I know. Yeah, sure. I, I just basically told you two things that you already knew, but right, yeah, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw it on the list. Uh, yeah. Once again, <laughs> though, Netflix movies. I mean, they really. I, if you told me they released forty Netflix movies a day, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to challenge that. I'd be like, that sounds like too many. Well, they. I, I'm sure I'm they not, do. I'm not I'm, super confident enough to challenge it. I'm, I'm sure they do forty movies in a month, sure. Um, yeah. But there's a there's a sequel coming, so you should definitely get caught up on that. Nice. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. If there's any other big franchises? Um, how do you well, feel I think about anyone growing up in the '90s? The Matrix also changed the game. Oh, of course it did. Of of course that is a, especially when excite- the, especially when yeah. the sequels came came out. That was a big deal. And that was also a lesson in kind of uh, dealing with I think expectations. It's funny in uh, one of my first film classes in college, the the big like end of the semester project was we had to pick a film. That either we didn't like or critics didn't like and do like a very extended like semester long breakdown of the movie to like dig into it and figure out either what critics didn't like about it what we didn't like about it um and at the time i picked the third matrix film because i was like oh i didn't i was disappointed in the third matrix film uh and in going through that project and breaking it down i was like oh i appreciate this movie more like now having done the work and dug into it i can i can see more what's working here uh and so that, that was a really cool experience for me sort of digging into that that is a great exercise, though. Too, I had this one exercise where, uh, in school, we had to take 
a program. It had to be an hour long TV show. So 40 minutes with, with commercial had to, had to have commercials had to be an hour. The program had to be an hour. So it ended up being 40 minutes and you had to show shot sheet it, which means you had to watch it. And then every time the camera, every time the the camera angle changed or there were, there, there was a cut, you, mm-hmm. you, you had to record the time code. And if it went from like a, if it went from like a wide shot to a medium yeah. shot to, and let me, let me, let me tell you, I, I chose an episode of, um, uh, I'm going to be embarrassed. I forgot this, uh, firefly. I chose an episode of firefly, mm-hmm. uh, the, the message, uh, my favorite episode. And that, that took me, that took me like nine hours to, to, to do, because I thought that was going to be a quick, Oh, it'll take me an hour and a half tops, and it ended up, end up taking like nine hours to do. Oh yeah, that was actually part of my project. We didn't do the whole film because that's that's insane for a full hour. But we did have to pick a sequence of the film and do a shot. Yeah, do a shot breakdown like that. So I did the, uh, the basically the first half of the fight between at uh, the end fight between uh, Neo and Agent Smith, uh, which I came with some really cool sort of thoughts on on that fight because I had to do the shot breakdown. So that that was a great exercise. That sounds like it. I mean, anyone interested in film should definitely do those exercises and just see, I mean, just so you can literally see what goes into get a small glimpse of the editing process and, and, and how, how the, the flow of shots and cuts actually go. Cause it, the, there is a flow to it and there is like, there are rules and flow to how you edit and cut scenes and, you know, large fight sequences. And just, I think a lot of people don't really know those intricacies and it's but, been years since I've learned them. So I, I I'm sure I've not, I'm sure I don't retain the information that I had at one time, but it's all very interesting. And you going back to what you said about watching the special features on Lord of the Rings, that is very, I think, you know, in a, in a, in a way, I, I almost like the special features more than I like the movies because you really get an insight into, you know, how things are done. And it's, I don't, I'm surprised more people don't watch special features. I, I, that's, I think there's the, that's the really only regret I have about physical media. I am not precious about, the sort of uh like tan- you know i'm not a guy who collects records like i'm fine listening to all my music digitally i i have no i'm not at all precious about any of any sort of physical medium uh but the one thing i do miss is i feel like there are fewer s- special features because they're not pushing dvds and blu-rays uh, that also i think does have an impact on the movies that are being made because you know if you got to think a mid-range movie that's going to just do okay-ish at the first box office. You got to think if they knew they'd get X number of DVD sales, the studios would be more likely to green light it. But now that, you know, they're not, they're not even getting remotely that same amount of money from digital sales or whatever streaming contracts they have. So, you know, uh, that, so I have that regret. I regret that I think it is part of sort of leading Hollywood to where it's producing now. But also, yeah, be, I think because they're not trying to push the DVDs, there's less emphasis on special features. Which is a shame uh, because it's just, as an art form, those are going away. And, you know, a lot of big movies used to shoot things specifically for the special feature, like little, I, little comedy remember, skits. And Yeah, do, do you remember uh, that when King Kong was being filmed? You mean like the the one from two thousand five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, Peter Jackson. Basically, the 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 special feature on Lord of the Rings was such a success that he was releasing the the same kind of thing, but even more in depth about King Kong before the movie came out. It was like through a website, and eventually they did package it together in a DVD collection that was separate from the movie. It was so involved; it wasn't even a special feature. It was a, its own like documentary oh, I, series. It, that was the thing that came with like a. It looked like a. 
you know, they say in the can, you, it was like two yes. parts. Two. Yeah, I, have, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but I remember watching those as it was being produced, and I was like, wow, this it's wild. Like, a major Hollywood film is letting me see it as it's being made. It, that was really cool. Uh, and that was, yeah, that was particular. That was specifically produced to to release even beyond the film itself. So yeah, those sort of things aren't being done. No one's no one's giving the director that much time and energy and resources to just document the thing that they're supposed to be making, which is a shame because I mean that's 100%. to a lot of people that's a big deal and that's like that's almost worth. Well, it's a catch twenty two. If you don't include those, people are less inclined to buy so to buy the physical media. But if you don't have people buying physical media studios are less inclined to green light those kind of projects mm-hmm. so i mean it's a catch-22 what do you do are you damned if you do damned if you don't uh so that's funny you bring up king kong we were just talking about jackson of course and that's one of his could have been a little better <laughs> it's true but also that one that one is a you can see and i said this at the time uh he, a lot of his lead up he was talking about this is the movie i, I was dreaming about making since i was a little kid and you can tell it because some of the indulgences he takes he wouldn't have done if he wasn't so precious about the source material. I'm like, but you could tell when he was a little kid, he imagined, okay, and then they crash into this big pit of bugs and they have to fight all these cool looking bugs, which is kind of fun, but also slows the movie down to a glacial pace. <laughs> You're not kidding. Uh, and it's one of those parts that I'm like, I should have just done without that. But yeah. to me, that's one of those things. But uh, you know, Jackson is a wonderful, is a wonderful study. And uh, if you're going to break down again, something we could certainly do on an episode and, you know, episode in days to come with looking at looking at jackson and his uh his his successes his not so successes and kind of breaking down a career of a man who's had some i think some wonderful see i like that the stuff he did a long time ago in new zealand was that was it one of the lines from what dead alive or is that, is that one of the movies uh i i'll, I'll be honest i'm less first in all one of one of the lines in the movies is i kick ass for the lord and it's <laughs> it's a it's a preacher that's like kicking and punching zombies i think that's the it's been a while since i've to, to think it's like 2017 for for a lot of that stuff but uh, it's been a while but i think that's one of the great lines that you don't really get anywhere else <laughs> but that movie so uh yeah that's just one of those things uh i think i stand with you pretty much on everything you've said uh, i would like to get your take on jurassic park uh i i, I mean once again, I was I was I was born in the in the late '80s, so Jurassic Park when it came out, all of our minds exploded. <laughs> Just the visuals of it, yeah. Um, and I so I love the first film. I feel like I watched the first film a lot, but I, as a franchise, it's not it's not been one that I, I like sit down and revisit as a whole franchise. Like I've seen them all, and I've seen I've seen one a lot. Uh, two, if you it, like, I couldn't say it's for sure, but if, if you like look through my history, if you had a book of my life and you're like, Brandon, you've only watched the lost world once in your life. I would go, I believe you. Uh, and like, to, and I would, I would imagine I probably caught it like, cause I saw it in theaters, I think. And then I'm pretty sure I, I probably caught it on TV once or twice, but like, I never sought out the sequels. Um, you know, I watched three, uh, probably a couple times. And then I've seen the new ones each once. Uh, the Jurassic World franchise. So uh, that is one that, like, while I'm I'm glad it's a franchise, I'm glad there's more stuff, and I'm going to see all the ones that come out. Like, if I if I think about it, I'm going to sit down and watch the first one and then walk away. See that to me, but we just we just talked about this. Can you do that? I mean, can you realistically do that? Yeah, I I do it all the time. I just told you I do it. <laughs> but I mean, is that 
uh, I, I'm not denying the existence of the other ones. Okay, but, okay, fair, uh, fair, fair. But here's the thing, yeah, like, um, especially as, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, I'm going to spend my time doing the things that I enjoy doing. And, uh, you know, there's, I, there's, we just talked about how much media there is to consume. And so while I'm not saying I wouldn't get value and I wouldn't enjoy watching the other ones, uh, unless I feel a particular push, I'm just going to watch the first one and then and then be on with my day. That's fair. I mean, the first one is by far and away the best in that franchise, and there's no one's, no one's going to argue that. It's a clockwork of a movie. It's so sharp. It's one of the best, you know, 90s movies, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I do want to – so we have a, a – you know, we're, we're, we're at 52 minutes. I, I want to, you know, start wrapping up around 55 and end somewhere between, you know, an hour, an hour and five minutes. So, boy, this hour has gone quick. It always goes quick when I'm talking to you, man. It's like time just flies when we're talking. Well, you watch out. Your fans are going to demand it. They're going to be like, stop doing the main <laughs> show. Just more Brandon. Uh, well, we have a lot of – I have a lot of episodes planned, my friend. We have, you know, if, if we do one or two a month, we we have content for a very long time. <laughs> So this, oh yeah, I mean, I'll worry. always tell you why you're wrong about every movie. So thank you. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, Brandon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh man, going back to those old Carmike days, indeed, oh, yeah. sir, indeed. Uh, so, what's your favorite movie, Brandon, of all time? Okay, like, okay. So, so first, my, I'm going to preface this. Well, listen. So my my how I ask this usually is how I've answered the question a million times. Uh-huh. My number one movie of all time is Braveheart. <clears throat> Uh, okay. Slots slots two through one hundred and one are always in flux with each other, are always changing for whatever reason. Gotcha. And the top ten remains somewhat the same, but number one is Braveheart. Always, gotcha. it's always going to be Braveheart. I'm going to throw out one. You're going to be really upset with my answer, but I'll, I'll, I just want to preface this. And here's how I answer the question of best film. Uh, it's really hard to for me to objectify something that's so subjective as my enjoyment of something, uh, and. I want to give an interesting question because people, that's a question that tons of people ask, you know, you're on a first date or something, you're talking about, well, what's your favorite movie? Um, so I'd like to have an interesting answer. That's going to like tell you something about me as a person. Cause if I just said like star Wars, I'd be like, cool. Everyone loves star Wars or, you know, one of the Marvel films or Harry Potter or something like that. Like, while that's probably true that those would be in the like high ranking, if I could objectify my feelings on film, it's not very interesting. So I picked a movie that I really love and I feel like I connect with in a way that that a lot of the general population doesn't. Uh, and and it's a movie that I watch once a year on my birthday. I love it very much. And so I always say my favorite film is Stranger Than Fiction. Sorry, the, Will, the Will Ferrell movie. We, yes. You and I watched that together when that came out. I love that movie that's, so that's much. That's a good movie, though. Why would I? It, why would I hold that against you? Uh, because I, I, it's a big sweat. Like, don't go. I love it. I own the. I own the screenplay book for it. Uh, like, I, yeah, yeah, I have it on every format it's come out in. Basically, uh, yeah, it's. I, well, I think it's an odd answer because it's. I can't like. Well, I think it is filmed very well. I think there is some craft to the filming. There's some interesting framings and things, and it's great performances. It is wall to wall great performances in that movie, and the screenplay is really sharp. Uh, but like, I can't argue. You know, the, when when your answer is Braveheart, I feel like most people uh, would would think of Braveheart and Stranger Than Fiction as different classes of things. And here I am saying that like, oh, that's my version of Braveheart is Stranger Than Fiction. No, well, <clears throat> well, that's. But I know you, and Stranger Than Fiction sums you up pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's, you it's, know it's, me, and yeah. Brave Braveheart sums up what I love very well. It's true. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Strange and Fiction is the high concept comedy, which are two things I love. I love you know just thinking through the concept and, and like the whole movie is based around this this weird system and how it works, and I, I love that about it. And it's very funny and great performances. Just, I, just 
I actually just listened. I actually just listened to this at work to like, I think Monday I listened to it, but what makes that movie so, what really sets that one apart is when, is when he understands what's going to happen, he can absolutely avoid it. And he chooses to die anyway. Oh, it's, she, it's beautiful, the ending. Yeah, because and then when she, yeah, and that discussion about it, she comes and she goes, it was a story about a man who didn't know he was going to die and he did. And when that man does know he's going to die and does it willingly, isn't that the kind of person you want to live? It's it, it's that. And then the whole, the final monologue about the Bavarian sugar cookie and and uh, a, a watch-shaped Harold Crick's life. It's, it's what a button. There was recently a Twitter thread that was like, name, name an iconic last line from a film. Uh, and and Clayton and I were just talking about it, and I was like, actually, I might go with that one. I'd have to remember the entire monologue because I love it in in its entirety. But uh, a, a wristwatch saved Harold Crick is after watching that whole film is such a satisfying ending to the movie. It's it's and so it was a wristwatch saved Harold Crick. I yeah, and it's just, yeah. Emma Thompson delivering it. She one of the many amazing performances in that. Oh God, she's so, <clears throat> she's so funny when during the the hospital ward and she wants to see the dying people. <laughs> where, are the, where are the definitely not going to make it people? Yeah. <laughs> and then when when uh, when Queen Latifah's like her character's mm-hmm. like I I got you nicotine patch. She goes I don't need nicotine patch. I smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And, just, and and how Emma Thompson delivers it is just it's wonderful. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal's yeah. great in it. Uh, Tony Hale as a small role is amazing in it. Just everyone is good at what they're but, doing. But in let's it. talk about Will. But Will Ferrell is the big walk away from it because it's not. It's not Anchorman. It's not old school. It's not you know the the Tropic Thunder. Not not Tropic Thunder. The, what's the basketball movie he, uh, he's in? Uh, oh, oh God, you're right. But what? it's I forget, I forget the name. But it's not it's not that though. It's Will Ferrell actually being forced to act. Yeah. And I feel I always talk about on the show. I always talk about Stranger Than Fiction. And everything must go. Everything must. I was gonna say everything must go is the DVD two pack. If I was if there was being sold at Walmart back in the day, it would have been that. And everything must go. Both great performances. Uh, and also, I can see like for as almost a parody of himself as Will Ferrell is kind of viewed now. Like he's still a, a gifted comedian, and I and it's just I can't blame anyone for taking the paychecks and doing the kind of work they just kind of throw to him. Like I mean, let's face it, Holmes and Watson was a, a nightmare of a film, but. Uh, I can't really blame him for being like me and John T. Rather hanging out for two weeks filming this script. Sure, whatever, that'll be fun. I like that but guy. The amount of enjoyment you and I got out of Anchorman while oh working at Carmike. I mean, we had hours of laughing and entertainment off of that one move off of Will. I mean, there was so in a in a few years in two thousand four, well, two thousand two was old school, which I think is a brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can't open the movie the same way <clears throat> because of the script. Um, and the taxi cab scene, which I think is one of the most brilliant ways to open a comedy, mm-hmm. but uh, you couldn't have that script anymore. It would have to be changed dramatically, the entire script. But uh, I think Old School was great. Uh, you know, then he had Anchorman in two thousand four, and then he kind of went crazy for a while. And like, I mean, then he had Bewitched, which wasn't great, but it was no, it wasn't. Still... There, there are like one or two sequences in that that going to find things you love. Uh, I still like as much as that movie is not good. Living rent free in my head is the scene where he's going. Did you test? Did we drug test the audience? Were they saying she's at five and he's a one? By the way, I'm high on crack. <laughs> yeah, that, that was in the trailer too. Oh, back in the day when you and I would just sneak in a movie and watch the trailers and laugh about them. Oh my oh, goodness, hundred percent. Yeah, 
goodness gracious, those are the days. Uh, we had so much enjoyment out of that one movie of Will Ferrell's. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then we watched, I remember you and I both unanimously loved Strangers in Fiction. I, I remember watching that with you, man. I remember exactly where we sat. In the yeah, movie theater. I, I saw it several times in theaters. I remember because it's you know one of the advantages you get free tickets. So I let I, I brought some friends to go see it because I, I saw it probably three times while I was in theaters in its entirety. Uh, great performance. It's one of the quietest Will Ferrell performances, but it's great. You see anguish and you know uh, maybe it's just that you know I, I became an accountant after college, uh, so maybe I really connect with the story of this accountant who finds the magic in life and Maggie <laughs> Hall falls in love with him. Maybe that's why I like the movie, but. Uh, <laughs> But it's a great film. If, if yeah, anyone listening hasn't watched it in a while or never seen it at all, go give it a chance. It's my favorite movie. One thing that one line that always stood out to me in that movie also, and this is the last thing to say about Strange in Fiction, is when he refuses the cookie and she's and, and she's like, What? Who refuses a fresh cookie? And she's super mad at him. He and he gets his coat on, stands up and says, I don't think this this isn't gonna mean much to you, but I think I'm in a tragedy, and then just walks away. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great. It's just it's one. I'm so glad you said that because I, I preach that movie all the time. So glad you said that. That's a wonderful Will Ferrell, and it's against type for him. So that's why I love it even more. For sure, love it. So our goal on this show, Brandon, let me just you know, you and I haven't done a whole lot of talking. I kind of wanted to go into this cold because of that to see where we come up with. But so we are in the you know. Not every week, sometimes once a month, sometimes twice a month, we will dig into things that we want to talk about that, for instance, I think we both have, you know, opposing viewpoints and because discussion is where things, where you can't, discussion is key to breaking down movies, I think, Mm -hmm. especially with friends and whoever you're with, but you know, discussion is, you know, the whole thing of it. I mean, you can break down a movie by script and what works and what didn't, and you can do that textbook way, but it's more fun, I think, to do that in discussion. But yeah, so that will, the aim of this spinoff series is to talk about things that we want to talk about when we want to talk about them. Great. That's so, my whole, that's my whole thing. Just doing so what I want when I want. I think uh, the first one we talk about, which we're, so we're, we're recording this on what today's the first, uh, September mm-hmm. 1st, 2021. I don't know when I'm going to post it. Just because I don't, just so I can get you and I can maybe talk through email and text and whatnot, maybe another phone call about somewhat of a nailing down a time frame. But mm-hmm. so, but the, the the first thing that I definitely want to dig into, only because we did part one already, is the Star Wars movie, is the seven, eight, nine, and for sure, for better or for worse, how they helped the franchise, how they didn't. Uh, you know, of course, there's a J.J. Abrams, there's Brian, there's Ryan Johnson in there, and you know, of course, a very big controversy of movie, The Last Jedi. It's just there's so much interesting in those last three movies. It's worth, I think, giving it a maybe an hour, hour and a half episode. For sure, I, I feel I feel duty bound to to answer the call whenever someone wants to talk about the new Star Wars movies, because uh, because it is so like territorial and people are tribal about their opinions. And I'm like, okay, well, I gotta sort of represent my camp and uh, stick up for for my side uh, and how we view these things. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you're not sticking up for yourself. You, you, you know where I sit on Star Wars. I mean, it's not like you're oh, yeah. sticking up for it, but I just, I have a I'm lot. I'm not of saying questions. against you in general. I'm saying, I'm saying on the internet. I'm gonna, no, I, 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 putting out more material <laughs> into the internet sphere with my opinions is always good. My, my because opinion. you know the one thing I've learned is just to not be so much of a hater and really try to understand and get underneath the film, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not to so be so so negative so quick. And that's one thing that I think you helped teach me. That's why I, I turned to you for this was. You know, you you know those three things. I mean, I I still do that even to myself in my own head when I watch a movie. I still do that. 
So, and I, I force other people to, to do it as well. And they're like three things. Uh, and then they rattle off three things. I'm like, now do you feel a little better about the move? They're like, I actually do. Now mm-hmm. that, you know, me made me think about it. So that was a big impact on my life, my friend. And thank you for that. You're welcome, bud. Glad to hear it. All right. So this was uh, an episode where we just kind of talked about what we liked, what we didn't like, kind of introducing ourselves. Uh, you know me. I'm going to try to take on a different persona in this spinoff series than I do in For the Love of Cinema, the the main podcast uh, where Roger and I, with the help of our perma guest Chris and other guests, dig into the weekly releases, both theatrical and big things on streaming. Yeah, uh, but more this, power to you guys. I couldn't keep that up. I don't have the, the energy or brain space for that. Well, I love it. I love watching, you know, even bad movies. I get really excited for... I'm really excited for Candyman. We're talking about Candyman this week. Oh, and I'm very excited. I, I'm going to go see that in theaters. Um, yeah. It's very, very, pol- it's very polarizing because we're watching Candyman and Vacation Friends with John Cena on Hulu. <laughs> where in the trailer, he talks about, you know, smuggling drugs in his butthole. But, you know, that's, you know, one's a rated R slasher. Yeah. With you know tons of you know tons of intelligent substance, and the other is Vacation Friends with John Cena, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, and Lil Ray Howery. So that should be that should it's. I always like doing episodes where you're on both ends of the spectrum, like polar mm-hmm. opposites. And plus, we're really it's gonna be really interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Candyman, knowing that Nia DaCosta is doing the Marvels for the MCU. That's gonna be wild. I agree, and also it's um the week. So Jackass moved out, but it that week would that week was gonna be Dune and Jackass. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine two different, like two more polar? Two, two more, yeah. <laughs> Talking about a skit jackass movie, and then one of the probably one of the better movies of the year, Dune. Yeah, one of the best visual directors working in the game today, directing one of the most famous epic uh, sci-fi series of all time. So. I would say Villeneuve, while he might not be the most famous, is the best. I think he's the best in his. In his lane, I don't think there's any competition at all. Oh yeah, when I'm talking to my friends uh, who like aren't really film people, I always talk about the Arrival. Like the Arrival is one of my favorite films of the past decade. The Arrival's wonderful. It's so good, so good. Uh, I keep keep delaying the end of this. You keep trying to wrap up, and I'm like, here's another tangent. (laughs) But Villeneuve, he, I love what he like. I can't. I love Blade Runner 2049 so much that that's the reason I cannot give up on 30 year sequels. Is because that one just knocked it out of the park. One of the most gorgeous thing that's, things that's ever occurred. Not even films. One of the most gorgeous things that's ever existed is that movie. I mean, he understood exactly what Blade Runner was. Mm-hmm. You know, although the movie with, you know, 25,000 different cuts. And then he, he was able to translate that and, you know, just completely flip the script on, you know, what... I mean, it just... It's so beautiful a movie. I, I Yeah, what you're saying is right. It is not just a beautiful movie. It is a beautiful piece of art yes just you know man oh man but brandon thank you for joining me this evening no problem and uh we'll be in contact and uh hopefully we'll get this posted soon and then we will begin our uh our star wars adventure i know you're busy you're i don't know if you mentioned in the beginning but you are directing a is it a play or a musical it's a musical it's an original musical it's going to come out a while because basically we're starting now because we're going to take a month off to do rewrites and and changes and things um but it's going to be opening this December in Columbus, Ohio. It's the world premiere of Second to Sherlock uh, from a local composer, Brian Horn. Uh, so if you're in, uh, if near Columbus, Ohio, or if you're in the Midwest, you know, make the drive out. Uh, I'll be, I'll be posting about that, and I'm sure on the, on the coming episodes, we have a while till that comes out. So I'll be, I'll be plugging that away. Uh, but very cool. It's the first time I've directed an original piece before. You know, I've, I've done other shows that are sort of, you know, shows that have been on Broadway or known entities. So this is really cool working with the, the composer and the writer. It's a, it's a different experience. I get to get a little more into the story and 
it's the first time i've had the power to be like uh i don't know if this character is sort of coming across and work and make changes to the show as we work so i'm, I'm really excited to, to get to work on it well congratulations on that. that is a huge feat my friend i'm, I'm very glad you're undertaking because you've been talking about doing that literally since we were teenagers yeah uh, no so, i'm really enjoying it it's, it's, a, it's exciting it's, it's a big deal and uh, a big congratulations to you thank you much. and uh, with that my friend i think i will end the episode all right again Check thanks thanks for joining band. us <laughs> you have a studio band right yeah I, I do right behind me yeah yeah oh perfect all right <laughs>